the ending of our first first full day together on this retreat. I turn the lights down because I like at this time of day there's something quite soothing about noticing that the light element of the day is fading something very soothing and peaceful I find sometimes the intensity of the light the intensity of the day and all the dramas the excitement or the agitation the discouragement or depression the bliss the powerful the fuzziness of sleep the sense I can't take any more the yearning to forever be able to be on retreat all the realities that manifest in our heart in the course of a day it's, there's something I find peaceful about noticing the ending of the day the fading back of the light in Buddhist teachings it's, uh, it's very important to continually check in to the reality of the situation It's this not carefully and closely, humbly, checking in, connecting with how things really are that allows the perpetuation of our opinions, our biases, our views about who we are, what the world is. And that rigidity and a distorting nature of what, what's called dipti, what's called views. Disguises ourself from our own uh, beauty, our own radiance, our own suchness, to use a, a Buddhist word. Just recollecting at the end of a day, well, what it's been like, all the moments we've been through, how we're feeling now. Reviewing, perhaps I'll review out loud some of the principles that we've been uh, considering, practicing, cultivating. This principle of samadhi. It's a principle, a principle of simplicity. Allowing the possible, the possibility of actually enjoying things in their simplicity.
when consciousness gets diffracted into the many thousand things, when our world seems to be so compounded and fragmented into what I want, what I don't want, tomorrow, all the possibilities of what might happen if things go wrong and unless I really navigate properly, all the possibilities, all the painful memories from the past that we don't want to recreate, which is natural enough. Because there is a place for recollecting what has happened before and for learning to, to sense what we're putting into motion, to be, to be aware of what might happen. There is a place for that. But when that world view of the mind trying to hold so many things in it, what I called juggling earlier today, when that juggling consciousness is, it gets too concretized, makes things seem so solid, and there's this real sense of being buffeted, broken up, There's the real sense of trying to get somewhere pleasing and get away from something that's not pleasing. In the principle of simplicity, in the principle of samadhi, there's the basic notion that there is that which is beautiful, that which is pleasing, that which is bright within this moment. This very realization was fundamental in the enlightenment of the Buddha. Remember, he, he went forth as a young prince, having been touched deeply by the realization, even in the midst of his palatial enjoyment. He was surrounded by, by beautiful women. He had the best education, he had palaces for each of the three seasons when it was too cold. There was, a, there was a winter palace that was warmer, lower down. When it was too hot, there was a summer palace that was higher up. During the rainy season, there was another palace. But even in the midst of that uh, beauty, fine food, enjoyment, good education, it still became a, a recognition, a realization of uh, that he too was subject to change, he too was subject to old age, he too was subject to sickness, he too was subject to death. It was a kind of realization that even in having things beautiful, that somehow there was a danger in that, that there was an illusion in that, that they were constantly subject to falling away. And he made that uh, monumental decision to go forth to leave the palace in search of something which was timeless, truly secure, a true refuge, a place free from suffering, free from birth and death. Symbolized by the archetype of the religious seeker that he met. He, he met when he was in the palace a religious seeker, someone with a shaved head, a saffron robe, serene features, that somehow 
resonated with something deep in his being that realized there is a path of inquiry. He went forth. And uh, I won't talk at length this evening about uh, all the different, uh, what he went through, but he did uh, for years develop very high states of concentration, actually going into very almost states of non-being, states where there was no sense of body. They're, they're basically the, the Olympic conquests of meditation, going to the very, very refined planes of the plane of no-thingness was the one he went to, to a certain group of yogis that had a teacher that took people to this place. He didn't feel the body, he didn't feel sort of anything. Very peaceful. And he was, he was good. He, he got to that state. The teacher even offered to let him help lead the order because uh, Siddhartha Gautama was so skilled. But he sensed going up like that. It was very peaceful, but he would come back down and still have a body, still have the same thought patterns. He then went to another teacher that even took him to a more refined state called the plane of neither perception nor non-perception. Very refined. Even though he accomplished that and was even offered to lead the order in that particular group of uh, summoners or seekers, he, he also sensed that there was still something not complete about that understanding. And he went through those years of self-mortification, kind of somehow thinking the body was the problem, that, that pleasure was the problem, that if we torture ourselves, use willpower, force the mind into learning to be equanimous to pain that somehow that would uh, cut the ties with the earth with matter so that we could rock it up into nibbana he also uh, gave his heart to that practice to the point that he got very sick got very thin but there was also a realization that this is, this is exhausting. That of all the great ascetics in the past who've endured pain, who've made great exertion, he said, I, they couldn't have made any more than this. And yet there isn't peace in his heart. And then he, he had the thought, maybe there's another way and that's when he had a memory that's more significant for how we have abided today. He had a memory of when he was a child. And his uh, father, the king, was having a plowing festival and they were working, doing whatever they do in the festival out in the fields. And as a child, he was sitting in the coolness of the shade of the rose apple tree, out of the way, secluded from all of the big activities all of the excitement, all the whatever goes on in the festival. And he remembered as a boy that while he was sitting under this uh, rose apple tree, in that simplicity, he was with his own breath in the way that a child would, without all kinds of opinion, oh God, my breath, and there's the festival. He could have written it off as something not very interesting, but uh, sometimes children can not have all kinds of views and opinions about. The eyes are open. 
just exploring. Everything's worthy to be explored when we're not so full of views and opinions. And in this case, exploring something right here, so close to us. It's not asking some big show out there to entertain us. Just being with the feeling of the body, the feeling of the breath. And he remembered that he went into a very beautiful state of calm that was born of seclusion. It wasn't born of pleasure of just kind of going out and trying to get something. So being stimulated by something that he saw. It was, it was a state of peace, a state of pleasure that was born out of letting go of thinking we have to go out there somewhere else. Born of these qualities, which I'll talk a little bit about tonight, these qualities of learning how to savor the treasures of this moment in their simplicity. And then he thought, do I need to be afraid of this pleasure? Is this pleasure a bad thing? He thought, there's nothing wrong with this. This doesn't harm anybody. He realized that, that this was the path. But he also realized that he couldn't, he couldn't walk that path when the body was in such an exhausted, such an enfeebled, such a starved state. He realized he needed to eat something. And that's then when he received the offering of the milk rice. That's when his fellow ascetics abandoned him as leading the soft, degenerate life. They thought he'd given up the, the, the struggle. But really in his heart he realized that it called for balance. After eating, after regaining strength, after then uh, cultivating this calm, it, w- it, was, it was from then then that the path opened up. Because from that calm, not only did he refresh the quality of the body, the quality of the mind, but then that refreshment, that steadiness of heart, that power of heart, then was turned to just inquire into what is all this. That power of mind then illuminated the true nature of things illuminated the futility of trying to capture, trying to own any moment. Because any moment that we try to capture, when we look more closely at it, it's flickering, it's changing, it's fluid. That became obvious when the mind was concentrated, when the mind was gathered, when it was collected and composed, that was obvious. Revealing to him the timeless brightness of the heart, which is which becomes manifest when we're not so busy thinking there's something to get a hold of, when we're not so busy believing that there's something we have to get rid of. So today we've been uh, cultivating this basic activity that was sparked off by the memory of the Buddha, that childhood memory. Also learning how to be simple. Also being open to the possibility that it's okay to, to, to be happy with simplicity. For some of us, it, it can be a real relief actually to notice how stressful it is to always be trying to drum something up. To always be thinking that, 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 that happiness is getting something together out there. That, that means there's a sense of impoverishment in our own heart. A sense of always relying on something to get a hold of, something to get rid of. 
what we've been cultivating today is learning how to open to, to savor, to relax into the simplicity of the moment. Learning how to open up a sense of enjoying how it is. As we learn how to do that, we can be really surprised. We can, be, we can discover an unexpected reservoir of brightness, an unexpected reservoir of energy and clarity that's welling up right from within our own being. That can be very unexpected. It certainly was for me. One of the images that the Buddha describes describing the nature of our heart when it, when it gets more gathered and calm is that imagine a mountain, but a mountain lake. A mountain lake that isn't it's surrounded by mountains, so there's no streams filling it up. It's cool. The lake is cool. But it's not being filled up by rain. It's not being filled up by streams feeding into it. But it's continually being filled from below. From below, what's welling up from the depths is this crystal clear, cool water. So really, that's how the heart is. The heart recognizes itself like that when it learns how to let go for a time of grasping everything outside us, learning just to compose, to savor, to be with the quality of this moment. The things that help us do that are called qualities which support, support this layer of uh, level of calm. The technical terms are, are um, called jhana factors, which sounds really technical. And, and sometimes that word is, I think, made too much of. Jhana means absorption. Sometimes the technical factors are called vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha, ekagata. Sometimes they're translated quite cryptically and intimidatingly as applied thought, discursive thought, rapture, happiness, and one-pointedness. And, and then we think, God, that's what I have to get together. Applied thought. Do I have to go to some kind of college for that? Discursive thought. Write an essay. Rapture. I don't think that happened to me. Happiness. And then one-pointedness, which sounds like a spike. You know, and, and that's what's the problem of, of some of these scriptural translations. But, but, but actually, when we, just, when we just kind of reflect, don't make it complicated, but just as I, as I just touch some of these qualities, reflect on the sorts of supports that allow for the heart to find this deep reservoir, this crystal clear lake that wells up coolly from within our own being. Vitaka, what's called applied thought, somehow means the mind being opened to the moment, being directed to the moment. It's, it's that aspect of thinking that, that reminds us, here I am. Because thought actually guides our attention. If thought goes, well, last week we were at the Karuna Institute on Dartmoor. I wonder what's happening there now. Um... Hope everybody's okay there. And Sally the dog is fine. Notice, thought brings me 
like that. Then thought can also bring me to Chattanooga, Tennessee, Lake Chickamauga, where I grew up, and wondering how mom and dad are doing. And then thought comes back and thinks, oh God, only the first full day. <laughs> Multiply this suffering times ten. You know, so thoughts leading to the speculation about what will happen in the future. That's assuming it's a straight line. What if, what if we got an in, in exponential growth in suffering? <laughs> that could be a big problem. Now that's kind of the future. Well, then we kind of go back, you know, but when I was on that retreat back in the 70s, <laughs> yeah. you know, I think the cosmic energy wasn't so intense then as it was now. I don't think you really can get peaceful nowadays because after all, the end is coming. <laughs> and notice, so thought, in each case, thought is guiding where consciousness is resonating. So vitaka, this what's fancily translated as applied thought, application. Don't hate thought. Thought is a friend, is a little tool used gently to help keep directing the mind back, not willfully with big muscles crushing through and then running into brick walls and then feeling hopelessly like a failure or feeling like a big success until we relax for a moment and explode. But thought, apply thought, vitaka means continually just pointing back. Here I am, sitting. How does it feel? Breathing in. And those thoughts don't have to be loud thoughts. They're quiet thoughts that point the attention, or instead of point, open the attention. To what? To the arena of actually here and now, having a body that's sitting, breathing, feeling. So the thought can say, sitting. So the thought's gone, but then it leaves the awareness that's here. Breathing in, peacefully breathing in. Breathing out. So we don't... Don't hate that thought. That thought, at first, that thought helps us. Helps us come back. And then vichara, what's called discursive thought, writing an essay. My God, do I have to be poetic about how it is being here now. (laughs) A better translation is sustained thought. But even then, it makes us think like we have to do a lot of thinking. Even a better translation somehow is exploring That reminds me more of the child, the young prince. It's an eye that's exploring. Exploring where? Exploring this area that we've just opened ourselves to, the area of being sitting here. So it might be a little thought that helps, for example, if we're looking at the breath. Yes, coming in. Then the thought disappears, but the awareness is still there. We're still in contact. Contact with the different aspects of it's going in, it's going out, it's long, it's short, it's vibrating. And that exploring also isn't rigid, an explorer isn't paralyzed. Explorer is not paralyzed. Sometimes we think to go into samadhi, we have to kind of go into paralysis. We're, yes, limiting ourselves to, to an area, but within that area, let's explore so the attention can, can touch the feeling of the breath in the legs, the feeling of the vibration, the feeling in the chest expanding and contracting, the feeling of restlessness even. We can explore just how it feels 
So the attention within this is moving a little bit, but staying connected. It's staying connected. To learn how to pick up this gong. If I want to learn how to pick it up, there's a thought that directs me to it. That's like vitaka, the gong. Then to pick it up, if I'm not used to picking it up, I might not know how to pick it up. I might slip through, because I'm not used to, used to holding. Notice to learn how to hold something. That, so sometimes vitaka is called that which brings us to the gong. Vichara is almost that which actually allows us to explore it. Allowing our hands, in this case it's our awareness, to get a feeling of the contours of this moment. And then the edges, and then when we get a feeling for the edges, guess what? That's a handle. We can hold it more now. Then as we hold it more now, pity starts to arise. Pity this next one, which is called rapture. It's a bit strong to suddenly jump into rapture. The, the essence of it, though, is learning to savor, learning to be filled by, learning to actually allow ourselves to enjoy the simplicity of just being in contact with, with this gong. Notice what it sounds like. Or this blanket, my favorite kind of blanket we got on pilgrimage to India. As I then savor just the feeling, the holding, the lightness. But to keep holding it, then from time to time the, the hands move, the attention moves. Notice if the mind goes back off to the, the millennium or something. Notice I might, I might drop it. And then, hey, hey, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. And then we notice that, and then we can gather it in again, stay connected, be interested in what brings us away. Applying, using some kind of thought, some sort of effort to bring us there, then staying in contact, sustaining that contact, through exploring, being with, this feeling of the body, this feeling of breathing, this sensitivity of listening. Pittiness is very important being filled by. We can wait till the cows, home for, cows come home for the rapture to come. We can wait till they come. We can be wait forever. God, they get rapture. I never get rapture. As we're out there kind of trying to get rapture, trying to bash away the enemies of rapture. Notice that activity of going out and trying to get rapture. Notice that very activity is assuming that it's not here. Just smush the microphone. It's assuming that it's not here. Notice that state is a narrow state that projects, concretizes the notion that it's out there. Can you see what that does to, to the treasures of the heart? It obscures the treasures of this moment by the conviction that it's not here, really. Boredom, boredom's very good at convincing us of that. It's not here. So then it's, out, it's always out there. But this pity, this quality of actually learning how to savor how it is, open to how it is, be filled with how it is, little by little gets us used to the idea of dwelling here, having an abiding, a trusting space, that it's actually okay, okay to be here. Sukha, the fourth quality, is ease or relaxing. Very important, relaxing. No cool water wells up. We're all tense. 
relaxing. Ekagata means dancing with, being one with, fully opening to merging with, just being here with body, body-mind, blending with each other. Now when that happens, there's there's beautiful feelings. If it doesn't happen, we think, gosh, sign for the prince, sign for the bodhisattva to be drinking up all that cool water. There's nothing like that for me today. But that's okay, that's important. If, if, if there isn't that feeling of, of uh, rapture, of being at ease, what is manifesting is all those ingrained tendencies, ingrained habits that are always telling us that it's out there. That's called samsara. It's out there, so we spend our time getting to where it's going to be nice, and then when we get to where it is, we're so used to believing that it can't be here, we have to project another out there, another out there, timelessly moving to the over there, never getting there never resting anywhere. So, if, if we sit here and there, there are accumulated tendencies to be restless that then manifest because, because a lot of the distractions are removed. Or accumulated tendencies to get discouraged when we think there's nothing much happening. What, what pops up into consciousness is, gosh, I'm, I can't do it. or accumulated tendencies to, to doubt or, or whatever, accumulated tendencies to fantasize, that's all right. At least they're showing themselves. The very things that can rob us of fully being here are showing themselves. And be nice if we could just obliterate them. Or would it really be nice? Some of our vital energy just kind of dropped off. But what we actually can do is begin to receive that, illuminate that energy. Learn to cultivate an abiding that, that, that still says, no, let me, let, me, let me be here. And instead of believing the appearance of that energy, which is always taking us out somewhere, or always convincing us that there's nothing in here and you might as well give up, by doing what we were doing today, simplifying and just going to the feeling of the body, going to how it feels to sit here, even if it's bubbling up anxious or bubbling up discouraged or bubbling up agitated, we can still in the midst of that also breathe in and be with the feeling of the body. Then in a sense we're allowing that energy to be transformed. It's like being a big furnace. Little by little that that energy is is being touched. It's being blessed by awareness. Blessed by the moment. And we can actually learn little by little to actually say when the mind's being pulled out, we can say, not now. I'll, I'll consider that later. It's not obliteration of that, but just a, a relaxing, still letting that energy bubble if it wants to, but then making that little bit effort to return or to sink in or to also feel another aspect of the moment that's more simple, just the feeling of sitting, the feeling of receiving the moment. Even if it's not that pleasant, learning to steady the mind in being able to enjoy the simplicity of just feeling how it feels.
And sometimes just by saying, not now, we're surprised. We're giving ourselves permission not to have to carry the whole world around all the time. If you notice, there's, there's a balance in nature. In nature, there's certain times of day when everything withdraws and things are quiet. Building a foundation of composure then to spring into the activity of the day. Or in the wintertime, there's a gathering preparing for the, for the wonderful bursting out and blossoming of spring. An army that, that, that has to kind of challenge great, uh, great obstacles. A good general will know when everyone needs to pause, needs to recollect, needs to gather. We're always out there trying to solve everything, figure out everything. We just get exhausted, fractured, confused. So, to also cultivate a little bit of capacity to say, not now, and to learn to steady the attention on feeling, the body, breathing, listening. And even if these uh, tendencies keep bubbling up, we let them bubble up some. But little by little, we don't follow them quite as much. We don't hate them quite as much. We learn to allow them to be transformed by the power of patience power of inner listening. <laughs> and it doesn't matter how, how good we get at it. In the course of a lifetime, if little by little, every day, we cultivate some capacity to relax, to savor, to receive. Just think of the blessing of being able from time to time to enjoy just standing, to enjoy feeling the blessing of each breath, that vibration element that brings vitality and brightness to the mind and body, to enjoying being able to walk to and fro, just to be with the suchness of walking. Even if little by little we just cultivate a little bit, what a wonderful blessing in a lifetime. We have the capacity then to recharge, to gather. And then that very strength of mind will also be helpful for us to turn and use to help illuminate the various difficulties of our lives. Some of us, some of our tendencies will be more able to cultivate a little deeper peace than others. It isn't that important. We all have different tendencies. In the end, this particular piece is not the end goal, but it's useful. Eventually, whether we have much peace or just a little bit of peace, we can still ask the basic question, what's going on here? And even if we don't have much peace, if we realize, if we ask the question, what's going on here, we might notice, I'm suffering because I kept wishing it wasn't this way. When we see that, when we let go of wishing it was different, we'll notice more peace. And even if we don't have much samadhi or don't have much peace, we can still solve that problem and learn to discover a timeless peace. But if we do cultivate a little deeper samadhi, then that's wonderful for refreshing our body and mind and also for making it a little bit easier to use that strength of mind to investigate more deeply. So I really encourage all of us to, to stay with this practice 
not to consider it a failure if difficulties are coming up. Those very difficulties are telling us they're the wonderful signs of those very states of mind that we tend to get fooled by to take us away from the beauty of our own being. So those very states, we, should be, we shouldn't hate them. Those very states need to be recognized, need to be digested. We need to, little by little, allow their energy to patiently run through the nervous system, the energy of agitation, that hungry ghost that wants to take us away. If we can relax with it, feel it, breathe into it, learn even to notice, I can be okay feeling this energy, then it will transform. And in time where we thought there was just boredom, thought there was just a desert, thought this is just a place of failure, just as all the activity of the day is miraculously being transformed into the coolness, the spaciousness of the evening, so too all these obstacles in time, we can notice them being transformed into the clarity the wholeness, the depth and brightness of that mountain lake, that place that is welling up from deep below, uh, continually being uh, filled by the, the beauty of the heart. we stay with it and we have all sorts of things that help us sometimes if we get a bit stuck in sitting then we can walk let the energy flow we can do the qigong to allow the energy to keep moving and we can also from time to time put the struggle down and just remember what we cherish this is the beauty of the puja, the beauty of even in the midst of this is hopeless. We can still remember that, but I do value wisdom. I do value compassion. I do value the potential, our potential to grow into these lovely qualities, to allow them to manifest in our being. We can just put down the whole thing and just praise and celebrate the fact that there is such a thing as wisdom, compassion, to celebrate the wonderful accomplishment of the saints and sages to open our heart to the fact that we are part of this mysterious totality and that we can be blessed. We can receive the nourishment of the in-breath from outside. We can also receive the nourishment of the goodness that is within us and around us. So in that spirit, may we finish this, uh, this day with uh, uh, praise to the timeless uh, beauty of the wisdom and compassion praising the awakening of the Buddha and that which he points to in all of our hearts. And with the prayer, may, may the wise and compassionate ones continue to guide us. May the realize, realization of that truth manifest in our hearts. And may the goodness of our efforts be shared with each other, with our families, and with all the world. Mahamunaye 
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.